over the weekend, there appeared in the Daily Mail newspaper, which is in London, an article which was headlined this, Biden refuses to rule out first strike use of nuclear weapons under extreme circumstances in dramatic reversal of his campaign vow after Putin's invasion of Ukraine. This is the kind of headline that grabs a lot of attention. It really does. And, and it's the kind of headline that makes people uncomfortable. Biden promised he would never use nuclear weapons for a strike. And this is it's kind of what I was talking about with Bill yesterday about house training of politicians. Those are the kinds of things you can say in public on the campaign. But once you actually get into office and learn some things, maybe you don't know them anymore. And in fact, I'm sure that's what Biden would say. If you knew what I knew, you would see it my way. To summarize the article, though, it, it, it outlined some considerations. Number one is that Joe Biden will not change longstanding U.S. nuclear doctrine under pressure from allies. Uh, he had promised to do so during the campaign. He had said, I'm, I'm going to do this. But reality turned out to be much different, and he was not, in fact, able to do that or not willing to do that. Number two, long-standing U.S. policy. That's an important phrase. That word, long-standing, is very important. Long-standing U.S. nuclear policy allows for first-strike use of nuclear weapons in, quote, extreme situations. Now, look, I, that's not telling you anything I haven't told you in so many words, but it is coming from a an open-source, unclassified source. So read into it what you will. Thirdly, it reminds us that the United States policy is that nuclear weapons will be used to deter and or respond to conventional chemical or biological attacks. This is long-standing U.S. doctrine. It goes back to the time of um, John Kennedy, as a matter of fact. And it's part of what he said in his speech on the Cuban Missile Crisis is we will regard any missile fired from Cuba to be an attack on us by the, by the Soviet Union, requiring a full retaliatory response. And of course, that ratcheted up things uh, in, the, in the Cold War. Now look, nothing that I say here is classified. Nothing that I sort of say here is not readable to you somewhere else. But I don't know why people are surprised by this. I really don't. We have in our minds this myth, mutual assured destruction. We will never use nuclear weapons because if we use nuclear weapons, they'll use nuclear weapons. And if they use nuclear weapons, then we'll use nuclear weapons and everybody will die. I just don't understand where that mindset comes from. And I'll tell you why. I asked this question a few weeks ago. Define winning in the context of a nuclear war. Now to you, it may be the old adage, you know, you can't, the only way to win is not to play, right? From, from war games. But I'm telling you, the people who plan for this, the people who sit in labs and computer simulations all day and have done so since 1946, do not believe that. They believe that a nuclear war is not only winnable, but it's all in how you define win. And depending on what your definition is, well, it affects how you build your weapons. The primary thing in nuclear weapons is, is what's known as counterforce. Can I stop my opponent 
from being able to launch his weapons. And in order to do that, you have to be highly accurate, like hyper accurate, and you have to be long ranged. This is where uh, North Korea, what they're doing is just a terror weapon. It's just a large weapon that they can throw a long way with very little accuracy. Maybe it'll hit Seattle. Maybe it'll hit Portland. Who cares is their view. You just make the threat. But in the real world of nuclear weapons, you want to be able to stop your opponent from, from attacking you back. So that de facto means you have to hit first and you have to hit hard, right? I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know here. I go back to, by way of example, I go back to what I told you a few weeks ago. This was my understanding. This was something that was said to me many times. If you go to Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium, not the new one, the old Yankee Stadium in, in the Bronx in New York, the stadium has a certain footprint. It has a certain size and certain shape. And the various submarine launch ballistic missiles that we developed through the years were often, in my experience, compared to Yankee Stadium for accuracy. The original missile that we use called Polaris, the A-1 through A-3 missiles, could hit Yankee Stadium from their nominal range. In other words, they were accurate enough that they could hit that stadium, but even that isn't accurate enough to counterforce something. To counterforce something, you're going to want to hit a bunker, a silo, a control unit, a communications unit, or dare I say, even a person. These are the kinds of things you need to be highly accurate for. Yes, a person would not survive that if they were in Yankee Stadium, but if it was a hardened silo or hardened system, who knows? The second generation system that we use, Polaris, or I'm sorry, Poseidon, which is the system I was trained on, could definitely hit the infield at Yankee Stadium or the field surface, the playing surface at Yankee Stadium. It was accurate enough to hit that, which means that you can control a little bit better and you can hit a harder target in a smaller area. The third generation missile that we used, Trident 1, and this is the missile that I was at sea on, could hit second base. Now, that means with that kind of accuracy that you can begin to counterforce your opponent. You can hit your opponent's critical infrastructure, his C3, command, control, and communication stuff, as well as his hardened bunkers with great accuracy and great punching power. And if you hit him first, well, how is he going to respond? The missile that goes to sea today is known as the Trident II. It's the D5 missile. I did not go to sea on it. It was just coming into service when I left. And the accuracy of D5 has been explained to me this way. If you're looking at the video, you'll notice that there are no dots on the video. Why not? Well, because you haven't chosen the seat you want to hit yet. That's how hyperactive, uh, hyperaccurate Trident is. The, the idea here is that you can do these things and, well, there you go. A long time ago, someone said, and this is open source, it's, this is actually Britannica, the Trident warheads are launched by the, the three solid fuel booster stages dispersed towards their target, blah, 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 blah. With the inertial guidance refined satellite or stellar navigation, and then notice this sentence, Tridents are more accurate than most land-based missiles 
their accuracy gave them the ability, unprecedented, to threaten hardened missile silos and command bunkers in the Soviet Union. That is the definition of winning in the context of a nuclear war. I know you don't want to hear that. I know you don't like that. But that is reality. The United States has long held this idea that in extreme situations, we can use nuclear weapons first and therefore C3D cap the opponent, which presumed to be the Soviets, the Russians, and prevent them from launching an all-out nuclear exchange, which would devastate the world. It's been our policy. In 2018, the Trump administration undertook a nuclear posture review, and they developed what was known now, what is known now as the W-76-2 nuclear warhead. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've talked about it before. The W-76-2 nuclear warhead, in a really gross oversimplification of things, and, and I, you technical people I know, don't, don't send me the emails, because I, but I'm going to say this so that people who aren't us understand this. The W-76 warhead is essentially an atomic bomb. It is not a hydrogen bomb. The secondary is removed, and it's, it's a much smaller yield. So in other words, instead of the, I don't know, X number of hundreds of, of kilotons of explosive firepower, you get somewhere between five and eight, which is even smaller by some estimates than the Hiroshima bomb. So... It's a very tactical weapon that has very high accuracy. It can't be counterforced because you do not know where the submarines that carry it are. And it is a direct threat of a first strike weapon aboard ballistic missile submarines that are at sea, even as we speak. This is what people are nervous about when they start talking about Joe Biden and He's not going to change the policy. On the campaign trail, he promised that he would. But now he's saying no, because extreme situations. This is the kind of thing that has long upset people, not me, but, but a lot of people. Wired Magazine, which is a magazine I actually enjoy reading. Uh, it's how I keep up on technology and stuff. But um, they have an annual science fiction, uh, science fiction edition that I really like. But on November 17th, 2020, they ran this article. By the way, Donald Trump could still launch nuclear weapons at any time. They were highly critical of the United States' nuclear defense policy and, and processes, and they were very upset. And remember, Biden had just won on the campaign, one of the issues that he was going to change all this. Plus, Trump had built these W-76 warheads and blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. At the end of the day, though, what's the real difference here? Is there any actual difference between what Joe Biden is doing from a nuclear posture, from Donald Trump, from Richard Nixon, from, from John Kennedy, from Dwight Eisenhower to, to Ronald Reagan? Other than this hyper accuracy, nothing has really changed. The idea here is if you define winning as preventing your opponent from launching at you, a first strike makes sense. I know you don't want to hear that. I know you go, Dave, you're crazy. But I'm telling you that since the time of Jimmy Carter, this nation has believed that nuclear war, an all-out nuclear exchange is not likely. 
And because of that, it opens the door for the use of nuclear weapons in a tactical manner. And now we have weapons that are tactical in size and cannot be stopped, cannot be counterforced, cannot be found. That's why Soviet submarines are so busy trying to find our boomers because if they can't find them, they can't stop them. And even if they could find them, they probably can't stop them. And so when Joe Biden sits in front of a press conference in Europe and he tells people, no, we reserve the right. When Putin says well, we reserve the right to use nuclear weapons, everybody comes unglued. When Biden says it, the only people that seem to notice are the people at the Daily Mail. Which, again, if I may for just a moment, scenario Rosalie, as Alexander Haig once said, I can see a situation where the President of the United States, where suddenly the EAS goes off and everybody runs to their TV and their phones and their radios and they turn it on, and it's the President of the United States, Joseph Biden, who has a very somber look upon his face sitting in the Oval Office, and he explains to us very succinctly but very forcefully, man, we had proof, the CIA, the DIA, NIS, whatever intelligence organization you want to deal with, has absolute proof that Vladimir Putin was going to launch nuclear weapons at us. And therefore, as President of the United States, I have taken the decision to make, to prevent that from happening. And to prevent that from happening requires us to use tactical nuclear weapons, which, by the way, should be landing in about a minute and a half. The United States reserves the right for first strike in, quote unquote, extreme situations. What extreme situation is there other than we know you're going to launch at us? And just to be, you know, just to, just to add one final thought. The man making that decision as to whether or not those extreme circumstances are legit or not is Joseph, I Bar uh, Joseph R. Biden Jr., President of the United States. Mm -hmm.